Greetings, my peeps, and welcome to the All Things Basketball Podcast with your boy GD. In this episode, I will give you my recap of the NBA Postseason Awards. I'll talk about each and every award and my thoughts on it, of course. And then we'll talk about the voting a little bit. Who's voting? And I'll make a plea for somebody who needs to have a vote as far as the postseason awards. So just sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Okay, guys, so it's your boy GD back once again with the All Things Basketball Podcast with GD, of course. And I wanted to get into the postseason awards in the NBA. Just give you a recap of everything. A few of my predictions pretty much went as I thought they would go. A few surprises, but nonetheless, let us get into it, shall we? So... I'm going to start with the award that I mentioned that was just prior to me doing my predictions. And that was Defensive Player of the Year, which I imagine it would be Jaron Jackson. All the numbers lined up in his favor. He led the league in blocks. He was number one in defensive rating and all those advanced stat goodies that we like to look at. But nonetheless, Jaron Jackson of the Memphis Grizzlies... He got it. He ended up with 391 votes, 56 of them first place. In second place, no surprise here, Brooke Lopez of the Milwaukee Bucks. He ended up second with 309, 31 first place votes. He was third in the league in blocks, and he was up there with all those defensive numbers that you look at. And then Evan Mobley, he ended up third, so... And he was ninth in blocks, first in defensive win shares, and all the other stuff that goes with it. So, definitely kudos to Jarrett Jackson Jr., who, again, I have to state, remember that he missed about a month or so of the season before he got back on the court. But when he got there, he made such an impact on the defensive end. So, kudos to him. Other guys with first place votes, Draymond Green of the Gold State Warriors. He got three first place votes. Bam out of Bayou and Joel Embiid actually got a first place vote. But again, it went pretty much as I predicted. Let us move on to Clutch Player of the Year. I didn't really give too much energy into this. I knew it'd be De'Aaron Fox, so there's no need to beat a dead horse, so to speak. So nonetheless, he ends up winning the Clutch Player of the Year, which was named after Jerry West. Oh, by the way, the Defensive Player of the Year was named after Hakeem Olajuwon. So, Clutch Player of the Year uh, goes to De'Aaron Fox, 460-91 first place votes. So, an overwhelming favorite. Then in second place, you have a guy like Jimmy Butler of the Miami Heat. He finished second. He got one First place vote. DeMar DeRozan of Chicago Bulls. He finished third. No first place votes, surprisingly. And then it was weird. A lot of first place votes went a variety of places. Steph Curry got two first place votes, but finished ninth. Then you had guys like Joel Embiid, 
Jalen Brunson of my Knicks, Donovan Mitchell, also Shy Gilkis Alexander, and, and a few of these two guys, go figure, teammates, Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. All those guys got a first place vote, so go figure. So, that's the way that shook out. So, no surprises there. De'Aaron Fox, the clear winner. Now, let's go to Rookie of the Year. And that's named after Wilt Chamberlain. And it went to Balo Boncaro. No surprise. Again, I pretty much saw that. Ended up with 494-98 first place votes. So, he finished first. All the numbers... Averaging 20 points a game, nearly 7 rebounds. But again, I pointed to the efficiency. It could be better. He only shot it over 42% from the field. So he can definitely do better in that regard. I say lay off the 3-point shooting. You know, you're a power player inside. Just hone that. And then if you want to add the 3-point shot later, you could do that. I understand it's a different NBA, but I would rather he work from the inside out. And then second place, Jalen Williams, a guy who I thought should be amongst the top three. He finished second with 241. No first place votes. Actually, the other two first place votes went to Walker Kessler. That's a name I actually forgot about. Towards the latter end of the season, he was inserted into the starting lineup. Kelly Olnick got hurt, so there was a need for him to play center and he played well he was averaging a double double as a starter in the blocks of course he averaged 2.3 blocks which ended up being fourth in the league he shot it from the field 72 percent guys from the foul line he can do a lot better of course so he ends up finishing third and then a guy i mentioned keegan murray he finished fifth in the voting amongst the Rookies, fourth place was Ben Matherin of the Indiana Pacers. So, Paolo, he didn't get all of the first place votes. I thought he should have, but you know, sometimes you get these analytical guys. They'll look at that shooting from the field and penalize a guy. The guy was averaging 20 points and 7 rebounds. How do you deny that? But And how you end up giving Walker Kessler, of all people, the two-place votes. But I guess that's quibbling over nothing. But Paolo Boncaro, Rookie of the Year. Let us move on to Coach of the Year. Coach of the Year, named after Red Arback, the mastermind of the Boston Celtics dynasties. So, with that said, Mike Brown, he was actually unanimous choice for Coach of the Year. And rightfully so. He got 100% of the first place votes. All 100. Oh, I don't know if I mentioned about the voting. It's 100 voters for most of your categories with the exception of Executive of the Year, which only has 30 voters. But in the other cases, it's 100 voters. So Mike Brown, his team finished 48-34. and 34. They were the highest scoring team in the league. They were first in the Pacific Division. A big surprise to everyone. They were third in the West. They were first in off offensive rating. They were second in field goal percentage. So Mike Brown doing a fantastic job with the Sacramento Kings. So well worthy of the award. I cannot make any argument. Second place was Mark Dagnault of the Oklahoma City Thunder. He finished with 164. He was third in the Northwest Division, 10th in the West. 
OKC pretty much surprised everybody with competing for a play-in spot, so he got recognition for that. Joe Mazzula, I told you, I figured he'd be in the running. He finished third. His team first in the Atlantic Division, second in the East, and of course he took over for M.A. Aduka and kept the ship afloat, so you got to give him credit for that. And then a guy I mentioned, Taylor Jenkins, Believe it or not, guys, he finished 10th for crying out loud. Although he was first in the Southwest Division, second in the West. So, again, with the Josh situation, also with him losing his starting center, Stephen Adams, losing him halfway into the season, and then later in the season, losing Brandon Clark, who was an integral part of that team. Losing him as well, and he still kept the team afloat. I thought he should have got a little more consideration. Tenth, I was a little surprised by that. And then, oddly enough, you had the two New York coaches getting the same amount of votes. In fact, right across the board. And that was Tom Thibodeau for the New York Knicks and Jock Vaughn for the Brooklyn Nets. So they tied for seventh. I know a lot of people were talking about Jock Vaughn being in the running. I thought that was interesting, guys. So that is your coach of the year. Let's go to most improved player of the year. This is the one I really had issue with. This award is named after George Mikan. And it went to Laurie Markkinen of the Utah Jazz. You know, his numbers improved across the board. His scoring really jumped up from his season previously with the Cavaliers. I understand his efficiency went up as well. His rebounding went slightly up. So, you know, I get it. I understand. But again, I circle back to how they stopped playing him towards the end of the year. So I just think you got to. It just seemed like the writers just wrote in their votes prior to the season ending. It didn't give any account to anyone else. Someone like a shy Gilkis Alexander. His scoring went up, not as significantly as marketing, but it went up nonetheless. His team played better. He willed his team into the play-in. So I thought that should have got a little more consideration. And then you have Jalen Brunson finishing third. So marketing ended up a total of 430 with 69 first place votes. Then you got Shai Gilkis Alexander. 289, getting 24 first place votes. Jalen Brunson, 91, with four first place votes. And then the rest of your first place votes went to Michael Brick, Michael Bridges of the Brooklyn Nets, Tyrese Hollyburton of the Indiana Pacers, who I thought if he played more this year, I think he could have been up there in, in the running. And Trey Murphy III of the New Orleans Pelicans got a first place vote as well. But again, it seemed like voters just made up their mind. Marketing was their guy. They didn't even look anywhere else. So, you know, the kid had a good year. He was an all-star, so you got to give him this credit there. But I thought it should have been a little bit closer. So let's move on to the executive of the year. Again, Only 30 voters. It was amongst all 30 teams. One vote each. And that award went to a guy I didn't even mention. Monte McNair of the Sacramento Kings. He ended up with 98. 
he got 16 first place votes among the 30. And what he did in terms of the year, he drafted Keegan Murray, who was an important part of their success this year. He traded for Kevin Herter. He signed Malik Monk, who was a spark for them off the bench. So, you know, he made some significant moves. You know what I forgot to add into that, and probably more important than any of these three, he hired Mike Brown. Yeah, so, you know what, I gotta reshuffle myself here. He should have got it. He hired the coach that turned pretty much turned that program around, so you gotta give Monty McNair his credit. So, I have no issue with this award here. Monty McNair, when you look at the grand scope of it, he deserves the award. Then in second, Kobe Altman. Again, I say his major move was the trade of Donovan Mitchell, which I understand, I get it, it propelled him into being a top six team, so fine, if you want to go there, okay, fine. He got 63 with seven first place votes, so alright, you got me there, but it was just the one move, that's why I keep harking back on. And then your third place person here, when I saw this, I was like, whoa. Justin Zanuck of the Utah Jazz. And he got it for trading Donovan Mitchell and getting back marketing. He also got Colin Sexton and their rookie, Ochi Agbaji. And oh, by the way, he traded Rudy Gobert and got all those pieces back, including the five first rounders. So, And then also he traded for Talon Horton Tucker, who... Actually had a pretty good season for them. And then towards midseason, he signed Chris Dunn off the scrap heat like midseason. And he played well for them at the point guard position. So Justin Zanuck, a name I didn't even consider. But, you know, again, his team was on the outside looking in as far as the play-in and all those sort of things. So you want to give him credit for pretty much... Pulling off the heist of trading Gobert and getting back all of that capital. I guess you can give him credit for that. Trading your star Mitchell and still getting back comparable talent coming back. So I guess I give him that. But he ends up finishing third. So, And then fourth is Calvin Booth for the Denver Nuggets. He made the trade for Catavius Caldwell-Pope. He brought him in and he's been a perfect fit for that team he signed Reggie Jackson mid-season after he was bought out he traded Bones Highland in a four-team trade where they got some trade exemptions back but I mean eh, I guess I'm quibbling over nothing when I'm going to fourth place so it is what it is I'll just leave it there also with first place votes Brad Stevens of the Boston Celtics John Horsch of the Milwaukee Bucks got two first place votes and then James Jones got a first place vote for the Phoenix Suns I guess for pulling off the Kevin Durant trade and then this one knocked me off my seat you know who else got a first place vote Sean Marks of the Brooklyn Nets are you kidding me that is insane I want to know who that one person was who voted for Sean Marks the man had Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, and you trade both guys, and you get a first-place vote? Wow. That's all I can say is wow, but I digress. Two guys I mentioned, Leon Rose finished eighth, and I spoke of his accolades, the signing of Jalen Brunson, 
the midseason trade of getting Josh Hart and him signing Isaiah Hartenstein. All three of those guys integral to the Knicks' success this season. So I thought he should have got more credit than a place finish. And then Rob Palenka. Rob Palenka is the guy who pretty much gets dissed, to be honest. There's this prevailing feeling that, yeah, he's in L.A., he's with the Lakers, he should be able to pull off these sort of deals and so forth. So I think they kind of shortchange him, to be honest. But if he didn't make those midseason trades that he made, I don't think the Lakers are in the position they are in right now where they're thriving in the playoffs. So I think Rob Palenka deserves a wee bit more credit. I'm just saying. Anyhow, so that's your executive of the year. Two more guys, and then I'm going to talk about the voters. Sixth man of the year, the John Havlicek Award, named after the Boston great John Havlicek, who came off the bench many years for them and was a fantastic player. I told you guys that Manuel quickly would get robbed in this award. I was 100% correct. He did get robbed. It went to Malcolm Brogdon of the Boston Celtics. I guess the drum beat from those saying that he's more of a bench player than Emmanuel Quickly. I guess that rose above everything else. I'm going to give you something very interesting here. He finished with 408, 61st place votes. Emmanuel Quickly, 326 with 34 first place votes. So it was somewhat close. Here's the thing, guys. Their numbers across the board are pretty much identical, with the exception of field goal percentage. Brogdon has a slightly better field goal percentage at 48.4% as opposed to Emmanuel's 44.8% from the field. Okay, fine. But Emmanuel quickly gives you a steal per game as opposed to Brogdon. And here's another thing. Brogdon played in 67 games. He didn't start in any of those games, so that's 67 games he came off the bench. Emmanuel quickly played in 81 games. Only 21 of those games he started. So that's 60 games off the bench as opposed to Brogdon's 67 games. A difference of seven games. So this whole idea that quickly is more of a starter than a reserve is pretty ridiculous to me. Again, he did that out of need, out of necessity, because Jalen Brunson had gone down and somebody had to go into the starting lineup, and that was quickly. So this whole idea that Quickly's more of a starter than he is a bench player is just ridiculous. But nonetheless, that's how the voting went, and Brogdon ended up getting it. So, And Bobby Portis, he finished in third, and he got six first place votes so there's your first place votes right there amongst the three players so that's the way the six man shook out let us go to the one that everybody eyes were on and that's most valuable player named after michael jordan it ends up going to joel Embiid. he got 915 with 73 first place votes i think that pretty much tipped the scales in Embiid's favor. Let me give you his numbers. He finished first in the league in scoring at 33.1 points per game. Seventh in rebounding, a little over 10 rebounds. He was seventh in blocks with 1.4. 
He was 19th in from the field at 54.8%. And you know he's efficient from the free throw line at 85.7%. Oh, by the way, he also gives you over a steal per game as a center. So Joel Embiid finally gets his MVP award, which he was so elated about. Then his teammates really celebrated him. James Harden got him an MVP Movado watch. So to the winder goes the spoils. So good for Joel Embiid. I'm happy for him. Then Nikolai Jokic, like I said, he comes in second, 674 with 15 first place votes. He finished 18th in the league in scoring, second in rebounds. He finished second to DeMontis Sabonis. Third in assists with James Harden and Trey Young, the only players averaging more assists than the Joker. One and a half steals per game he gets. He was eighth from the field amongst league leaders. He was eighth and pretty efficient from the free throw line at 82.2%. So, Jokic finished second. Then you have guys like Doug Gottlieb who says... Oh, Nikolai Jokic didn't get it this year because of this whole quote-unquote wokeness and him being white. Let me just say this, Doug Gottlieb, so your lips shut. This man got MVP twice, and he says it wasn't until Kendrick Perkins says that the voting is about race that it goes to Joel Embiid. So you put a lot of weight and power behind Kendrick Perkins complaining about the MVP award that it suddenly shifts to Joel Embiid and not his numbers, not what he did on the court, not his importance to that team there. You're going to say it's racial now? Come on. I'm not even going to give too much energy to that, but it is what it is. So, But nonetheless, Nikolai Jokic finishes second. Third, as we imagine, Giannis Antetokounmpo, he finished third, finishing fifth in the league in scoring, third in the league in rebounding behind the Joker and Sabonis, 17th from the field as well, along with nearly six assists a game, and you know his free throw shooting is adequate at best, so... And then you have in fourth place, and oh, by the way, all those guys got the first place votes. Joel Embiid with 73, Jokic with 15, and Giannis with 12. And then in fourth place is Jason Tatum, finishing very high here. He was sixth in the league in scoring with a little over 30 per game, and he just had a phenomenal season. So, in the end, Embiid gets the award. So there you have it. Those are your postseason awards, guys. That's your wrap-up of that. Now let's talk about the voting. The voters comprise of sports writers, at least one from every city that the NBA plays in. So that makes 30, right? And then you got broadcasters, those on TV. So a show like First Take, guys like Stephen A. Smith, rightfully so, he covered it as a beat writer and he does it pretty much now in his current position so no argument there and also he does the NBA countdown show Kendrick Perkins he has a vote he's on TV now he does first take he'll show up on there he'll show up on the ESPN NBA show he'll show up on there with Malika Andrews the loathsome Richard Jefferson and those folks over there 
J.J. Raddick, he has an MVP vote. He covers the league. He does color commentating for ESPN. So these are people who should have a vote. NBA Countdown, the whole panel has a vote from Greeny to Stephen A. to Michael Wilbon, a writer for many years. Jalen Rose, he has one as well. So we're good. TNT or the Turner folks. Ernie Johnson, he has one. Adam Lefko as well. Of course, Ernie Johnson of Inside the NBA, usually the Thursday edition. And then you have Adam Lepko, who he does the Tuesday edition of the Inside the NBA. So you covered there. Jared Greenberg, who was at NBA TV, now he's at Turner. Greg Anthony, he does commentating on national games. Kevin Harlan, I believe, has a vote. Kristen Ledlow, who I want to say she used to host an NBA show. She probably still does. I believe she has a podcast as well. So I think she has a vote also. Stephanie Reddy, she does sideline reporting. And she'll do some work also at NBA TV. So these are folks that are very close to the NBA. So makes sense. NBA TV, you got guys like Matt Weiner, Dennis Scott. They have votes as well. ESPN. I'm not sure if Woj has a vote. I would think he would, but I'm not 100% sure. Doris Burke. Obviously, she has to have a vote. Zach Lowe. Kevin Pelton. Brian Windhorse, of course, he has a vote. Ohm. Young Missouk. He has a vote. Tim Bontemps. Ramona Shelburne. Dave Potch. Mark Jackson. Jeff Van Gundy, I want to say they have a vote. I'm not 100% sure. Jeff's brother, Stan Van Gundy, I think he has a vote. I'm not sure of that either. Then you have others like Rachel Nichols, who, of course, she used to do the NBA show when she was on ESPN. Now she does it for Showtime, so she's still locked close to the game. And now she has a podcast where she interviews players, so definitely someone who should be voting. Sham Sharani, he has a vote. David Aldridge. I'm not sure if he still has a vote. You know, he used to be close to the NBA. I believe he still is. So I want to say he has a vote as well. Guy like Sean Powell, who writes for NBA.com. I believe he has one. Chris Mannix as well. So you have a number of people here. And then you have the people on The Athletic. Amongst those people... A few internationals here and there. And then we circle to Sirius XM. They have an NBA channel. And most of your hosts has a vote. Guys like Frank Isola. Who of course was a sports writer. For most of the New York tabloid papers. So he has a vote. Justin Termini of NBA Today. He has a vote. Then I go to Rick Campbell. Who I listen to regularly. He does a give-and-go show. He does it with Antonio Daniels. They do a great job. And he said he doesn't have a vote. That's insane to me. Rick Kamla, who used to be on NBA TV, he was on there. He even had a fantasy basketball show on there at one time. I can't find anybody who loves the NBA more than Rick Kamla. This guy, he should have a vote. I don't know who's in charge of it. I don't know... Where you go to 
raise a complaint, but he should have a vote in all these postseason awards. He should have one. I don't know anybody more passionate about the NBA, outside of me, of course, <laughs> than Rick Kamala. Yeah, this guy should have a vote. Now, what I'm told is, I don't know how accurate it is. Shannon Sharp, well, he has a vote for MVP, I guess. Then he probably has a vote for all the other awards, except for Executive of the Year. That would be crazy that Shannon Sharp has one and Rick Kamla does not. I'm just putting it out there. Rick Kamla, give this man a vote on postseason awards. That's all I'm saying. So, Anyhow, I'm going to stop it right there. We still have a lot of playoff action that's going on. The WNBA, they're about to start their season. And by a little more than a week or so, they'll start their season. And I will break that down. I'll let you know my expectations and all those sort of things for the WNBA. I'm actually excited for their season coming up. A lot of the young players coming in, like Aaliyah Boston coming in. Maddie Segris. Diamond Miller, who already is looking like she's WNBA ready. So, look forward to seeing her. Lexis Morris, look forward to see her get some play over there. And, of course, the New York Liberty, they're loaded for bear with Stewie being over there, as well as John Quell Jones, well as Courtney Vandersloot, and Sabrina Inesco looked like she's ready to rock and roll guys so i'm looking forward to seeing the liberty and of course the las vegas aces the defending chance who oh by the way added more firepower with candace parker so definitely going to be a threat there well i'm giving away too much for my next episode so i'll just leave it there all right guys so i am done once again thank you for listening much appreciated and we'll talk soon So, my peeps, if you like what you're listening to, you can go to my website, www.allthingsbasketballwithgd.com. You can also email me at thatsportsdugd at gmail.com. To support this podcast, you can go to my PayPal, and that email is thatsportsdugd at gmail.com. Also on my anchor page, I have a support button there that you can also use to help the podcast. I'm on all the major platforms like Anchor, Spreaker, Google Podcasts, Amazon, SoundCloud, YouTube, CastBox, Radio Public, Podchaser, just to name a few. And also you can find me on social media. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Clubhouse, and Fanbase. So, once again, I thank you for listening and supporting this podcast. And take care and be safe.